This Dharma talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. All right, well, good evening and welcome everyone. This is class four here at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in our winter 22 class on faith, gratitude and compassion. And thank you again to Jodo-san for supporting and encouraging our practice and study together. In the first half of our six week course, we have engaged and studied and reflected on various forms of resistance, including intellectual scorn, anger, doubt, cynicism, etc. Now we enter the second half of our class we will engage on and reflect on other common, but sometimes less obvious hindrances and obstructions. This week, we will reflect upon the experiences and impacts of depression and dolor. These elements of human life can manifest for a variety of reasons, including family history and personality, dolor or grief, and heartache and sorrow typically arises in response to some profound loss or difficulty. Both of these things can impact our ability and motivation to practice. Yet both can also offer powerful gates into deeper, more insightful practice. If we can meet them with intention and resolve, depression, dolor, sadness and sorrow can arise at any moment in our life. And even when we are aware of their presence, they can be difficult to meet and navigate. They can be so overwhelming and all encompassing, we may not have the capacity to recognize how profound is their influence on us. Further, they may significantly reduce our motivation for practice, keeping us from regular zazen, even practice with our sangha. And this can spiral downwards, demotivating a person away from practice, deepening depression and sorrow. Thus we can reflect how important is daily routine practice with both sangha and teacher. It helps support our practice every day, yet also provides support when difficult times arise. With these experiences, having a well-established routine supports our practice in profound ways. We rise and sit zazen because that's what we do. We meet what arises. At the same time, it is helpful to recall that tragedies can occur. Both Dogen and Gautama Buddha lost their mothers early in life. While both of these figures are remote from us in time, we understand these early profound losses were influential in their paths as spiritual practitioners. It was Buddha's mother, Buddha's mother's sister, Mahapajapati, who raised him. While Dogen witnessed the ashes of his mother's cremation rising and entwining with incense at the ceremony, dissolving into nothing, into thin air. Deeply moved and remembering his mother's exhortation towards practice, 
Young Dogen pushed away from his uncle's urging towards secular power and became a monk and studied long at Mount Hie, the local Tendai temple. Biographer Heejin Kim describes this seminal experience. At the age of seven, the year 1207, Dogen lost his mother, who at her death earnestly requested he become a monastic to seek the truth of Buddhism and try to relieve the tragic sufferings of humanity. We are told that in the midst of profound grief, Dogen experienced the impermanence of all things as he watched the ascending incense at his mother's funeral service. This left an indelible impression upon Dogen, which no doubt determined the direction of his subsequent spiritual journey. Later, Dogen would emphasize time and again the intimate relation, relationship between the desire for enlightenment, Bodhishin, <clears throat> and the awareness of impermanence, Mujo, and death. To Dogen, the lucid understanding of life and the thorough penetration of death, Ryosho Taishi, that is a total understanding of the meaning, or dori, of impermanence and death. We're the alpha and omega of religion. Dogen understood the impermanent character of life in religious and metaphysical terms, rather than psychological or aesthetic ones. And he lived out this understanding in his monastic life. Dogen's way was not a sentimental flight from, but a compassionate understanding of the intolerable reality of existence. That comes from Kim's book, Ehe Dogen, Mystical Realist, a classic long study of Dogen's life and practice. To lose one's mother so early in life is a powerful blow even if other loving adults are able to support and care for the young person. Above all, it impresses into consciousness the fundamental impermanence of all things. Even the most dearly loved persons who we rely upon when we are young and vulnerable. But whatever the cause or source of depression and dolor, they are powerful in ways that go beyond any conscious analysis. We are immersed in them struggle to see beyond them. They wrap us round like invisible fog, obscuring our ability to see the world and its brighter, more hopeful qualities. Under these conditions, we may struggle with our fundamental desire to live. Even friends and family can seem distant, inaccessible when we are afflicted deeply by depression. While our personal life and practice suffer, it can be increasingly difficult to emerge from the depths of this depression. This is where commitment to practice has profound value. Not only are we committed to study the self, as Dogen expresses it, observing our body, heart, mind, we are also committed to meeting Sangha and teacher regularly, and in these connections and intimacies, they can open our minds, clear the fog, Active engagement is fundamental to Zen, at the heart of practice. While at first glance, black-robed monks sitting in rows on black cushions may appear passive, the epitome of doing nothing, 
In fact, Zen engages body, heart, mind every moment, whether paying attention to breath, rising and falling, watching thoughts and thought patterns arise and fall away, sweeping the floor or serving tea. This very moment is Buddha, is Zen, engaging actively all moments, whether palpably noticeable or profoundly dull, Zen training focuses each practitioner with a keen edge, completely present all moments. In this sense, Zen training itself is keenly alive, active, fully present here and now, regardless of the activity or place or condition of self. At the same time, this training in Zen opens practitioners into wisdom and compassion. Along with keen awareness moment by moment, the practitioner opens into allowing, which manifests as both these qualities, both wisdom and compassion. This energy of allowing or acceptance is vitally important. For while it acknowledges the importance of concentrated mind, it also recognizes and gives permission to the myriad non-self elements arising and passing away. Like a complex ballet, the universe is constantly manifesting beyond the boundaries of self and any intentional concentration and focus. As Dogen says in Fukan Sazengi, the Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It is never apart from one, right where we, one is. We relax into this moment, this condition of body, heart, mind, not needing to force concentration. We allow our thoroughly trained Zen mind to let things be just as they are. Relaxing this way, Opening the hand of thought graces the world and self with spaciousness, which is actually the true condition of being. Strong as practice may be, if depression and dolor set in deeply, it can be important to seek help. To assume that spiritual practice should be sufficient unto itself can block practitioners, even teachers, from support and assistance that can be vital in restoring proper mental health and overall well-being. Having practiced a decade myself with a Zen teacher suffering from depression, one who had at last to step down, I can say without hesitation that it is good and proper to seek proper help and attention to care for one's mental health, no matter what stage of practice one manifests. The consequences of unattended mental health disorder impact practitioner and Sangha in ways in all directions. The belief that our practice or our concentration and focus will be sufficient to sustain us is a type of fallacy we see it in lots of the ancient stories akin to portraying Zen teachers as masters. 
this image perpetuates itself again and again in ideas and images of the untouchable Zen practitioner, steady in all storms, unflappable in the face of all catastrophes. In the end, Pema Children has it right, channeling William Butler Yeats. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. To face depression and dolor directly takes profound courage and often outside assistance. To believe that our practice is enough is a fallacy leading to significant suffering, particularly when the person is a teacher or leader in the Sangha. Witnessing this firsthand in one of the most upright teachers and practitioners, I want to stress the, the importance of this kind of assistance in modern mental health support. Because of stigma, depression is frequently dismissed or minimized, and this can happen in spiritual practice as well. There is such willful effort to believe practice will be enough, and ultimately this can enhance rather than alleviate the suffering for everyone. And some of this may stem from East Asian culture, which can tend towards silence in delicate social matters. But we see stigma in the West as well, with its attendant silences and denials. And all of this really runs contrary to the purpose of Buddhist practice, which is awakening and alleviating suffering. This kind of cultural tendency can reinforce the iconic image of the lone spiritual warrior, but only to the detriment of practitioner and person and community. Finally, it can be very difficult just to notice depression or dolor. There are profound effects while in their midst. This fog can be so all-encompassing that it becomes next to impossible to recognize how, in an objective way, just how impacted a person is. This is true of one's own individual experience, and it can be true when observing someone else's experience. To turn towards it, to mention it, however delicately, can be particularly difficult. Night and fog surround this experience of depression, of sorrow, so much that denial becomes normalized and efforts to illuminate brushed aside as intrusions or illogical suggestions. Both individual practitioners and entire sanghas can have this experience. To open to overt recognition is an act of faith and compassion. It takes courage in all directions to have the conversation openly. Often there is so much resistance and it dismisses and diminishes the gravity of the situation. So to act and speak clearly and compassionately manifest faith in the Bodhisattva way. We manifest this practice of the Bodhisattva because deep down we understand suffering comes to all beings beyond volition or bad karma. It is part of this human life. To recognize this is to liberate one's own voice of compassion 
to find words that can reach the heart and mind, to engage in right speech and right action. Zen is the practice of reality, the way things are. It is practice that trains us to see clearly, to allow what is to manifest completely. Yet it is not passive. And in these instances, we may have to dig very deep indeed to find words and gestures that can enter the ear and heart and alleviate suffering. We may have to return to Zazen when we recognize that efforts at action may have no effect, or at least not the desired or attended, intended effect. This can be heartbreaking when we see with complete clarity that we were not able to help, that things unfolded in difficult and painful ways all the same. This suffering tears our heart. It deepens our practice, even if it challenges our faith. As Dogen writes in Genjo Koan, although there are many features in the dusty world and the world beyond conditions, you see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. Zen Buddha's practice opens us when we sustain it over the years particularly when we practice intimately together with others. Gradually, we are exposed to many different kinds of struggles and sufferings. We bear witness at close range to all sorts of human dramas, the love affairs, marriages, divorces, feuds, disputes, breaches, tragic illnesses, accidents, confusions, disheartenments of every kind. Sitting upright in this whirling world of samsara, we deepen this practice, this compassion, this faith. The practice really is the best way to live. We do not avoid suffering, yet we do not deepen it or cause more of it. The strength and resilience of our practice inspires others. We do our best to respond, manifesting bodhisattva vows as best we can. Gathering our hearts in practice, we continue offering vows in 10 directions, circumambulating the three characters that form a single pillar in the practice of Zen, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dharma talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.